Hello everybody, I'm Matt Mikuchi and you are listening to the Jazz Ace Podcast. Everybody, Jazz is online editor Matt Mikuchi here, welcoming you to the second episode of our brand new podcast series of regular conversations with some of the most amazing artists on the jazz and creative music scene today. A series that we simply like to call the Jazz is Podcast, and that comes to you in conjunction with our Jazz is Vinyl Club. A series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz is editors, and that is a must for lovers of jazz and vinyl alike. One of these albums celebrates the art of the trio in jazz and aptly includes today's guest, Norwegian pianist Espen Eriksson, whose trio with bassist Lars Tomot Jenset and drummer Andreas Bie has been going strong since its foundation in 2007, releasing a number of amazing records on Runa Gramophone. One of them, Perfectly Unhappy from 2018, is actually a collaboration with the acclaimed British saxophonist Andy Shepard, a collaboration renewed on the trio's latest album, In the Mountains, the band's first ever live full-length, released earlier this year. This exciting collaboration is just one of the topics discussed on this week's Jazz Is podcast. So fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. Here is our conversation with Espen Eriksson. It's a pleasure to speak to you. So, Esvin, let, let's get talking about your music, but there's, there's so much that I want to ask you, but you recently released your first live album in over in over a decade of recorded music, and it happens to be a collaboration with the great Andy Shepard. Now, can you, uh, first off, can you tell me how this partnership began with this great musician and what Shepard brought to the table in terms of this collaboration? It actually started, uh, I think it's six years now um, since we first got together because even before that we had played on the, the same festival in uh, in Norway at a festival in Bergen. He had a commission work for the big band in the town, Bergen Big Band. So he was staying there for a longer period and we happened to play at the festival at this festival, there's many gigs in the same building. So there's different venues or stages all around. So you can 
like walk from the this gig to the next and he he happened to be at on our concert and he he said to his wife uh, he had brought uh, I could play in this band and uh, he was very happy and uh, so so the word came to me that Andy Shepherd had uh, visited our concert and he he complimented us with the the music and uh, we thought wow great i didn't know couple of years after that, uh, we were going to UK and we were going to play a concert or two in London at the Pizza Express Jazz Club. I uh, remember that Andy, at least he didn't hate the band. So uh, so I sent him a message on Facebook, of all things, and said, hello, uh, do you remember us? You were at our concert. Do you want to play with us? And he was, yeah, of course. So then we played two gigs that uh, it was a Sunday. So we had a, the, the first show was like on daytime and then in the night. And we had only, I think, one hour rehearsal before. And it was just, um, I think it was very easy. Uh, we didn't have to do it. It was just like we had played been playing for many years so um, there and then we decided we have to work together and um, for me writing tunes it's so inspiring uh, to have his lyrical um, approach and his beautiful saxophone tone playing my melodies it's just like wow have I written this because he's he's like adds so much to them and of course also and in, in terms of the ensemble play, play and um, with solos, he adds new textures. Uh, he also is one of those guys who can both play European, if, if you would call it that, uh, European ECM style flexibility. And at the same time, he has this, like he can shift gear and go ahead in, into something like post-bop thing. So it's, it's really nice for us so to, to we have a bigger palette. Right, yeah. I mean, and also it sounds like he's a very down-to-earth guy. Yeah, he's, he's so funny. And uh, after the first gig we played, uh, he, he, he missed some, some uh, notes here and there. And he, so he said after the first gig, he said, so uh, am I fired now, Espen? No, no. You, you. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's very, very sweet. Uh, he has this, um, he's very um, warm person with a lot of humor. So it's easy. It's not like we're, we're scared because he's, he was famous or anything. It was just like down to earth. Yeah, it's, I always find that it's great to, it's especially good to collaborate with people who have a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, because you need uh, need that in working yeah. in music business because there's so many strange things happening. So to cope, this it's a good thing to have some humor. <laughs> and in jazz then too, especially because I guess there's a conversational element to the music, especially in the parts that are more improvised, right? Yeah, so it's wonderful now to, um, to, to feel that he's a part of the band. Actually, it's it's like we have two bands. We have the trio, and then we have the quartet. The quartet, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the album we should specify then. 
includes a selection of your tracks from your previous studio recordings, uh, plus one, which we'll get to later, actually. But aside from the addition of, of Shepard to the mix, which we talk about, do you feel that this music has evolved over the years or maybe your relationship to these particular tracks have evolved? I feel, I feel like the biggest difference is that uh, in the live versions, uh, they're more stretched out. So we, so like a song, an album could be five minutes, but it can be almost 10 minutes in, in the concert version. Um, uh, that's been something we have um, always done. And we've also been quite um, careful with uh, having um, the album versions being real album versions, not uh, a substitute for life. So, uh, so on our albums, we tend to be a bit more like distilled, a bit more uh, produced, uh, even you can say. And then live, we tend to let it more loose and add some more temperature. So, in other words, you want these performances, your live performances, to feel like something different every time you feel you want them to feel uh, like a like a unique thing yeah although uh, th- there are of course similarities and uh, one of the things that are really great i think on this album is that for example andy is joining us on anthem and that was from our very first album uh, and now it's got a little more drama to it because he's taking a quite a long solo and uh, the temperature rises and um, uh, so I feel like um, the core of the songs are still the same but we're but we are uh, allowed to to stretch them out to toy with them to play around basically um, during concerts right and as we mentioned this is uh, your first live album too uh, and, and that, you know, having that album out there, uh, with this trio, I mean, quartet, <laughs> but do you feel that just have the fact of having, uh, finally having a live album out is kind of, uh, a land- landmark thing? Also, if I may add too, uh, cause I was just thinking about this. I mean, it, it does feel significant just because of the fact that it's being released just as jazz venues are reopening and we're returning to, some kind of normal in terms of live music, you know, after the years of uh, pandemic. Um, yeah, I've actually it was uh, my label uh, manager Rune from Rune Gamfun who insisted on, on us doing a, a live album now because I was after we done uh, the 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 end of summer album. I was beginning to plan the next album, which I thought would be a studio recording uh, with Andy um, again uh, since we were the former was was only with the trio and then he said no you need to to release a, a live album now it's been it's been uh, five studio albums uh, so you need to do that and then I was hmm, I don't know I've, I was prepared to like uh, make new songs and look forward, not backwards. But then I started to to collect recordings from from different places and listening to them. And I I understood that yes, we need to do this because 
first of all, there, there's been a demand. The, uh, our audience, our fans has are constantly asking us, when do you are you supposed to release the, a live album? And uh, so there, uh, we knew that <laughs> there were someone out there who wanted the record. And then it was also good to show a kind of different side uh, also on the album that we can actually also play a bit more, I don't know, dirty or, or out there than we allow us to play on the albums. So I thought it would be a more complete image of uh, the, the trio and our work with Andy. The track you are hearing is from In the Mountains, the first live album ever released by the Espen Eriksson Trio, also documenting the band's collaboration with saxophonist Andy Shepard, featuring renditions of some of the tracks from the trio's previous studio albums and bottling up some of that live magic that they regularly unleash on their live performances. And if you love jazz and vinyl, be sure to check out Jazz's Vinyl Club a new series of vinyl compilations carefully curated by the Jazz's editors and featuring some of the most exciting jazz artists from yesterday and today that we cover in the print version of Jazz's, jazzes.com and these Jazz's podcasts. Go to jazzes.com and click on Join Vinyl Club. And now for the second part of our conversation with Espen Eriksson. We talked about your original compositions, but the album does end with a version of Rosemary's Baby, uh, the music from uh, Roman Polanski's uh, film. And it's music composed by Krzysztof Komeda. Uh, you have paid tribute to the Polish jazz great in the past. I mean, he's an absolute legend. Would you consider him a major influence of yours? I don't know if he's a major influence, but what I th- uh, like with him and many other uh, like, for example, Charles Hayden or uh, other composers. Uh, I like those composers who are uh, able to capture certain emotion or vibe with only a few notes. Uh, I'm, I'm um, drawn to that minimalistic aspect. How, how, <laughs> how clear can you be? How clear cut can you be and actually make something really big out of 
the, the less is more uh, approach is what I feel uh, I'm most attracted to with um, with Kumeda's composition. Like this one is like it's it's so simple, but it's at the same time a really really strong melody, and it outbeats it beats so many other melodies with a lot of things going on jumping up and down with a lot of notes, but uh, not being able to produce the same kind of musical meaning or emotions like, like this song. And um, the reason why we recorded this was uh, we were invited to play at a festival in his hometown, uh, Kumeda's hometown, which is Potsnan, by something called Erayasu, the jazz area and do a project there. Um, they invite uh, foreign musicians to, to, to do some of uh, Comeda's uh, work alongside their own things. So we did, we played two Comeda's, two of Comeda's composition on this concert and it was a big concert hall full uh, of people. And after playing this version of uh, of Rosemary's Baby, there was standing ovation and, and people were like crazy. So, uh, and luckily there was a recording. Uh, they recorded the concert at the festival. So um, when I was thinking about doing this live album, I uh, asked them, do you still have the recording? Do you have it uh, on multitrack? And luckily they had. So uh, we thought it would be a nice end to the record of something completely new not us only only playing all the songs yeah. Uh, yeah well it's a great it's great music you know but have you ever seen the film actually I haven't uh, oh. um, because I was, I'm so afraid of <laughs> of trailers and those yeah. uh, those movies um, uh, I get so scared so I, I need <laughs> I, I have to see it one day but I uh, Ah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it is a qu- quite a disturbing experience. I, I have seen it, and I love you John Cassavetti's performance in it. I, yeah, I think. I mean, Roman yeah. Polanski. I know he's a controversial figure for reasons outside of cinema, but when it comes yeah. to the films that he made, he did some really good ones. <laughs> so, anyways, you know. But again, it comes down to the material uh, uh, on your records because. Obviously, I love the original compositions, but then I've also enjoyed throughout the years some of the selections of covers that you've decided to take on in the past. And some were quite surprising, like the one that pops in my, in, <laughs> to my mind, just thinking about it, is uh, one from uh, when you took on We Don't Need Another Hero. Yeah. Uh, the, the Tina Turner hit song. And I didn't know because I hadn't seen the track list yet, but then I listened to it and I was like, I know this song. And now I haven't been able to hear that version the same way again. But regardless, uh, is this something that you uh, occasionally like to indulge in? Kind of reinventing other compositions, some of which are popular, but not necessarily tied to the traditional jazz canon. I like to do covers because uh, it uh, can produce new new meaning or uh, set a new light on things. But... Um, and I also like the idea of not doing uh, the the like clever pop songs that uh, the, like Radiohead or something or uh, or Beatles uh, that everybody else does. Uh, I, f- I think it's nice to look 
other places, like for example, uh, the, we did a version of uh, Barry Manilov's uh, "Could It Be oh, Magic?" Uh, Could It Be yeah. Magic? Also popularized is, by "Take That." <laughs> yeah, which also is a kind of out there. It's, it's an odd choice of music uh, for a jazz band, and I I like that to to uh, that it's like a contradiction or something. That that uh, that is something not quite right about it. I think feel that is interesting. And and also the reason I choose I chose those songs where that the melody is so good. Uh, and um, and I felt I could do something very different from the original version. So it comes down to to inspiration, I think. Uh, what am I what can I do on this song? If I it like sounds it. like you have a lot of fun with it, yeah. Especially, yeah, it's, so. yeah, it's more more like for fun, and then uh, if it's really good, oh, we could maybe try this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, we're currently at Jazz Ace celebrating the art of the trio uh, uh, and its legacy in the history and development of jazz. And this is why we wanted to get you on board for these podcasts because you know you are a major exponent of the of the jazz trio right now. There's there's no question about it. And uh, so just quite simply, you know, I, I just wanted to ask you, how would you explain your approach to the piano trio? And what is it that kind of you, you like about it to the point that it has become, you know, a major vehicle for your own artistic expression? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. I guess that the format... Uh, uh, four is a crowd, but two is maybe a bit uh, lonely. <laughs> Three is uh, good, but uh, I think it gives such flexibility uh, is um, one of the main reasons. At the same time, you there's enough voices available or uh, expressions available with drums and the double bass. Of course, I've. Uh, listen to the the famous piano trios uh, during history, but at the same time, we also try to to make our own concept of the piano trio to uh, not be too dogmatic with uh, what we allow ourselves to do. In one way, we're not, um, we're open, uh, for other expressions like from popular music or from classical or from folk music, um, to bring more into the tradition. Uh, but at the same time, we're also, uh, it's also very much about, um, limiting ourselves to, to know what we are not going to include in our expression. For example, we've been uh, we're also capable of doing like swing or or some some other things or or more fusion thing or or more funk or but we try to keep it clean uh, to, to to come more and more closer to what's our personal voice that no one else has. Uh, so it's both, both about opening up and also about uh, um, circling it in. And talking about uh, in the mountains, maybe maybe we'll we'll conclude with with this uh, because uh, we did mention it before. Uh, Runa Gramophone, uh, it, it kind of renews your collaboration with this label, uh, and. Uh, 
you know, I'm looking at you, the visual aspect of your records, and there's sort of a side to that as well, right? Because, you know, if you put them side by side, it's almost like a series of different artworks. That's yeah. a part, part of a one whole unique series. Uh, it's quite distinctive and recognizable. Uh, do, do you find that this has become an important aspect of, of the records that you, you put out? Yeah, it is, it is, uh, very luckily to, to be on Rune with, uh, the house designer, Kim Jortai, who d- does all the work for, uh, Rune Gamofon. And I think it gives a sense of, um, connection between all of Rune Gamofon's, uh, records, but especially on our records. I think it was his first records where he, uh, painted. Usually he's more into graphic, uh, graphic design and uh, manual manipulating pictures and, and so on. But on this, al- our album, he's, um, more into, <laughs> it almost looks like, uh, it's very naive, the paintings. And I, I feel, but there's also depth to it. So I've, I feel it also resonates with the music as, um, in a way and, and also, when we are out playing, um, we get a lot of uh, attention with these covers because they're they're not the typical uh, jazz covers. And um, I love things that are like uh, contradictions, like also <laughs> are the title of the our uh, studio album with uh, Andy Shepard is perfectly unhappy. I, I like those things that uh, also my music or our music. It's sometimes it can be melancholic, but melancholic, it's, it's yeah. yeah. But it it also can feel like uplifting at the same time. I uh, I like those when it's both sad and happy at the same time. When it's uh, a bit scary or at the same time cozy or I like those uh, because that's that's life uh, also nothing is like black and white uh, there's all colors in all aspects and I, I like that also to be included in music um, that can can be humor at, but at the same time it's really serious so I think you know I think uh, yeah. listening to melancholic or sad music can be a, quite a positive and joyful experience. Yeah, and, and also at the same time, listening to very happy music that's only happy can oh, yeah. be a very sad and frustrating experience. Or frightening, frightening, or frightening. experience. Yeah, this, is so. what I, this is what I hear every time I turn on my most of the FM radios nowadays. I'm yeah, scared get, out of my mind. Yeah, yeah you get Terrifying. really scared and uh, like, what's happening? What's happening yeah, with yeah. the band? And if I hear the words, then I get depressed. <laughs> All right, well, anyways. Well, Espen, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure.
hope you enjoyed our conversation with Espen Eriksson, his new album with the Espen Eriksson Trio and Andy Shepard in the mountains is out now on Runa Gramophone. And if you love jazz and vinyl, be sure to check out our Jazz Is Vinyl Club. Join the club and we will send you four premium limited edition color vinyl albums mailed directly to you. Just go to jazzis.com and click on Jazz Is Vinyl Club for more. And as music from In The Mountains plays us out, I encourage you to keep an eye out for more Jazz Is podcasting content coming at you real soon. In the meantime, this is Matt Mikuchi signing off. See you soon. Music